Welcome back. You are listening to Tani Talks Radio, the Shia, where we talk a topic for the week for the audience and members to keep. This week, of course, we're coming up to Shavuot. Shavuot's the beautiful holiday where we accepted the Torah. We were Kabbalah, involved in Kabbalah, the Torah, of course, after those 49 days from leaving Egypt, leaving Mitzrayim. We work our way up, up, up till we come to the pinnacle of the existence of the Jewish people, accepting that Torah. The problem is, thousands of years later, we come to ourselves and we see that we're not holding in the right form, we're not holding in the right format, the right philosophy and the right outlook in our lives and, and if in our lives and in life itself. We don't understand that Hashem is the one true king above us. If Hashem is the one king, by definition, if we hold ourselves in sons and daughters of the one king, by definition, by fact, that makes us princes and princesses. The problem is... We don't act as nobility. We don't act as nobles. We don't act as those befitting the children of the one true king, God himself. We kind of lose ourselves to the fact that we are part of the only true royal family in the world, that of the Jewish people. Hashem is our king. We are his children by fact. No one disputes that. And we are therefore princes and princesses, but we don't act like such a way. Do you see Lahabdil? How refined even a garden Buckingham Palace has to be. Lahavdil, they can't move, they can't stir, they can't make a face. It's always a, a big uh, big thing to try to get on social media to make them even laugh or smile. But even more than that, how much more than that? It's like we're in the Buckingham Palace of all Buckingham Palaces and we actually were there. I went to visit there once when I was on a trip myself many years ago and my wife and I were in London and we saw these really, this really awesome, awesome thing. You know, the Buckingham Palace is the, the main stay of England itself. And that's the nobility. People say, this prince and this king, they have to dress a certain way. They have to make their appearances. But we're even greater than that, Lahabdul, on so many levels. But it is lost from us. We don't remember. We don't relish in the fact, absorb the fact that we are the true royal family, us, the Jewish people, Hashem's chosen children, not chosen in a better way, God forbid, than anyone else, but in a more mechoyev way, in a more obligated way to make the world better, to do what we can to make the world better. Hashem puts in us the peace to need that justice in the world, the social justice in the world. I was actually sitting just the other day during one of my breaks I'm an OT for the city, and I felt the supreme passion, the supreme need to try to work on social justice. I felt like it is such a waste that for some reason, food goes to waste in the DOE. It is such a waste, excuse me, I have to take a drink, that there is so much waste, pun intended, in that food after the whole day. Sealed items, totally unopened items, are gone. And they not only throw it out, but I was told by the food employees in different schools, I've been in over 12 schools over eight years now working in the DOE here in 2023. They told me at the end of the day, do you know what they do to the food? We can't leave it out. We can't just put it on the street. The rats, the rodents, the mice, the vermin, they're going to attack and they're going to jump on it and try to eat it. So we have to pour bleach, bleach on perfectly good milk, Perfectly good unopened bagels, perfectly good unopened cereal, unopened apple slices that could have easily went to a much better place and we bleach it so that no 
animals can get into it. What a waste. I felt such a social responsibility to do something about it. I literally emailed the mayor, the mayor's office, and I emailed the chancellor. And the other day, I also felt a social justice responsibility from, that, from the spark of Hashem putting in us that we have to do for the world. I felt this injustice that in gen ed classes, the way it works in DOE, you have two tracks. You have special ed, District 75, where you have three tracks, six, eight to one, six to one to one, six children with one teacher, one para, and then there could be more paras if it's on their IEP. They need one-to-one help. Then an eight, one-to-one, eight children, one teacher, one para, and more if it's on their IEP, and then 12, one-to-one. 12 students, one para, one teacher. There could be more, of course. And then there's 12 one to four sometimes, like the children who are severely restricted in wheelchairs. And then in gen ed, you have three tracks, self-contained, a 12 one to one a different type of 12 one to one than District 75, a little higher functioning. It's 12 kids in a class, one teacher, one para. And then you have ICT, one special ed teacher, one gen ed teacher. And then you have gen ed, where it's one teacher on 25, 28, 30, 33 kids I said, if every other track has assistance, has people, why is Janet stuck with one teacher? It's not functional. It's not safe. It's not realistic. It's not fair. We need to change this. I want every classroom to have an assistant teacher. I don't want there to be any class with just one teacher. My wife is a private school teacher. I would love for that to change also in private school, that every teacher needs an assistant. I cannot imagine what it's like to have to deal with so many kids at one time. What if you have an emergency phone call? What if you use the bathroom? You can't wait till you prep in two periods from now. Crazy. Hashem puts in us the idea, as royalty, as these nobility, we have a social justice to the world. We have a way that we're supposed to come to the world. We're supposed to treat the world. We're supposed to take care of the world. And we're supposed to behave and interact with the world. How sad is it where we dress, people dress like schlumps. They talk like Vildechayas, they act like Vildechayas, and I'm not talking about people who are dealing with illness or dealing with addiction or dealing with affliction or dealing with saras or midos that they have to work on every day. Everyone has their own things to work on, and you stumble and you fall. By and large, of course, everyone has to work on themselves, but someone who by and large literally walks around with stains and rips on their pants and looks unkempt and haven't gotten a haircut in 14 months, just has a foul smell and a foul way about them, you know, we need to dress a certain way. We shouldn't talk like the sewer. We shouldn't have nivel pam. We should be refined people in what we say and what we interact with, what we read and what listen, music we listen to. I myself switched my music many years ago when we got married. I switched it. We threw out everything music-wise, and we took only Jewish songs and male singers, of course. And all the books we switched out for only Jewish novels from Feldheim, Sharpless, and Menucha Publishers, we made the FLL, the Free Lending Library, in our basement. You're welcome to visit anytime. Maximum TEE7 at gmail.com if you want to borrow or if you want to comment or suggest anything. But those were the two main things we were able to fix. Of course, my wife and I try to watch shows that are more functional and more family-friendly in general, movies as well. But, you know, by and large, we have to go and make sure that we are involved in a certain type of a life. We are royalty. We are a nobility. It behooves us to try to act like so. It behooves us to try to interact with ourselves as well in order to interact with the world. So when you think of royalty, what do you think of when you hear the word royalty? What comes to mind when you picture a royal? You probably think about a king or a queen, a prince, a princess, castles, formal balls, and attire. You could think of a debutante ball. You could think of rules and etc. 
He might think of the Prince of England or a Grand Duke in some faraway land in a castle tucked away into the woods. He might even think of the kingship and the Malchus, the Havdil, of our Jewish history, past starting with David, David, King David and his son extending into history. But I want to challenge and change the notion of what royalty can really mean. I want to see how we could truly incorporate it into the concept of our very lives. All of us in this world, every single Jewish soul on this earth, are what I would call actual royals. Why? How can it be? Because we are related to Hashem. Hashem is the king of all kings, the only true ruler, and our father. What does that make us by very definition? I repeat, if we are his sons and his daughters, and we are his chosen nation, then by very definition, when we come to Kabbalah's Torah, we accept the Torah from our father, from our king, we become those princes, those princesses, his sons and daughters in the chosen nation of the only one true king on the entire planet, as we are supposed to be to elevate the world through the gift of the Torah. So we are born of real royalty. So in our lives, we need to live in a royal and a proper fashion. If Lahabdal, Prince Harry, can't show up to an event without royal attire, Lahabdal, how can we show up to shul or to Shabbos or the like without our royal attire, at least with dressing like a mensch in a modest way? And when I say modest, I don't mean... You know, that it has to be only X, Y, or Z way. You could be very modestly dressed, but it's still not Sanua. Like if I wear a size medium or small, even though I'm covering everything and it's the proper shirt, it's not the modest mensch way. It's way too tight. You know, I don't need to showcase my ribcage. You know, I want it to be in a modest way. I get the large, not extra large where it's falling off me. And not meaning where it's too tight, and that applies to men and women. It should be in a modest way, in a proper way. We don't have to make it where we're drawing attention to ourselves in a negative way. Save that for the spouse. Save that for your own life. In, in general, in public, we need to be a mensch in a modest, proper way, doing things in the right way. If a prince would never use bad language or derogatory language or speak in such a way or dress in such a way or act in such a way, then how can we? We are the sons and daughters of the one true king. We must go about as such with all that we do and how we dress, how we talk, how we act, how we behave. We must, must be modest, proper, and appropriate manner. We're supposed to be Mekad Hashem Shemayim, sanctifying God's name in this world. We're supposed to be Mamlachas Kohan and Vigay Kadosh, a kingship of priests and a holy upright nation, bringing and doing good for the world, uplifting the world around us. And it's time we act like the royals that we are, with dignified lives being loyal to Hashem and the Torah life, living wonderful lives full of mitzvahs, chesed, and Torah befitting the true royalty. This week, as we come in 2023, we come to Shavuos where we accept the Torah and we take upon ourselves the mantle of leadership, of making the world a better place. It behooves us to think how we have the fancy tablecloths, the silver, and the cutlery. We eat fine foods and delicacies. We sit at the Yom Tov meal, befitting the kings and queens and princes and princesses. We're supposed to have new clothing for Yom Tov, supposed to be nice clothing that, that is appropriate and fits the right way, getting new items and befitting the ways that we are royal families in our own homes. We're supposed to act like royals every single day as well. We should prove our loyalty to our royalty, following in the ways of Hashem through the guidebook of the Torah, doing its mitzvahs and its chesed, learning Torah, going above and beyond to act and behave in the spirit of the law in a royal fashion. In fact, author and Amuna Braverman points out on H.com, don't apologize for being a Jew. You are royalty in this life. You are a royal. 
you are part of the royal nation. We need to realize that I am a son or I am a daughter of the king of the universe. And as such, I should definitely straighten my crown. In fact, I shouldn't just straighten it. I should polish it until it shines. We have lost our way. We have forgotten that we are royalty. We have forgotten the responsibility that goes with that, as well as the privilege. We are the true princes and princesses. And not just because we have the party at four with the requisite paper plates, cups, and costume. We need to carry ourselves as such. Remember our ancestry. A true son and daughter of royalty, royalty walks erect, secure in the confidence that the Heavenly Father is both beaming down with pride and holding us up. Here's our support, our confidence, our rock. It's hard to recognize our royal status in the casual world. The scrutiny lavished on the English duchesses is nothing compared to that directed toward the Jewish people. We're under a microscope every step of the way and every misstep too. There are those who are eager to pounce, waiting for us to fail. This is all the more reason for us to carry ourselves with dignity and pride, all the more reason to recognize that we are the children of the king, not to allow ourselves to fall victim to the canards in the press. We have nothing to apologize for unless we don't live up to our potential, unless we betray our royal roots. The Jewish people will never win a popularity contest, but that's not our goal. It's not our goal. Our fortune whacks and wane along with the world opinion. But it doesn't really matter. Because as long as we're behaving as we should, as long as the king of kings is pleased with us and with his subjects, nothing else counts. Our challenge is to continue to rise up despite how those around us behave. And differential to how those around us behave. To focus on our inner dignity and sense of self despite the external pressures to enjoy the privilege of being a people who have chosen a deeper relationship with Hashem with all its difficulties and struggles and pleasures. Some days and some generations, that feeling of being overwhelmed arises more frequently. But we should never forget whose son and whose daughter we are. We should always place a smile on our faces, straighten our crowns, and keep moving forward. Aish points out to us, look at the Torah evaluation of human beings. Every person is created in the image of God. We are all nobility and should view ourselves accordingly. Lonely self-images are based on mistaken notions. We all have the ability to change those notions if we choose. Dust off our crowns in everyday life and wear them proudly. The crown of our keepers, the crown of our tefillin, literally on the head and the hand opposite the heart. The crown of our talus, which literally goes over our head. The crown of our tzitzes, which goes under our clothing. The crown of the shetel and the tichel. The crown of our dress, our deeds, our acts, and our way of life. Cling to the life tightly. Embrace it and show the world you're loyal to being a true Torah royal. H.com points out, from finding an heir to the throne, a story by Tuli Flint. In another time and another land, there was a wise and benevolent king and queen. The kingdom prospered under their enlightened rule, but there was a problem. As the royal couple reached old age, they had no heirs. Yes, said the queen, I can see this as a problem. We don't want to leave a legacy of battles over who will ascend to the throne. We don't want the kingdom we have worked so hard to build to be torn apart after we pass on. So the king and queen came up with a plan. They asked their advisors to call together all of the children from all corners of the kingdom. Within a month, the gathering took place. All of the children of all the kingdom, ages 8 to 16, gathered in the courtyard of the palace. They cheered when the king and queen appeared. A servant followed the royal couple as they made their way through the crowd. The servant carried a huge basket. From the basket, each child drew a small bag of seeds. Each of you should go home and plant the seeds you drew from the basket, the king proclaimed. In three months, we will tour the kingdom. The child who plants these seeds, who grows the nicest and most creative flower garden, with these seeds will be our heir. 
throwing in a British accent at the end for fun. Not everyone was pleased with the royal couple's plan. After all, they expected the heir to be a wise and trustworthy leader, a person with vision, not a gardener. But out of respect for the king and queen, they acquiesced. Each child took the seeds and tried to be as creative as they could with the gardens. One grew flowers in the bath, another planted the seeds in an old shoe. Someone else grew flowers in an old coat. All of the finalists grew beautiful flowers, all except for one small girl. People laughed when the girl applied to be considered as one of the finalists. No matter how hard she had tried, nothing at all grew from her seeds. She changed the earth, watered the seeds, added fertilizer, but it was all for naught. When asked to explain her apparent lack of success and why she thought she deserved to be considered as heir to the throne, the girl said, Your Highness, I've tried everything and talked with everyone who could teach anything about growing flowers. I thought of finding other seeds where your orders were explicit to grow what we could using the seeds from the bag. I have a second garden which grew beautifully with other seeds, but no matter how charred I tried, your highness, nothing at all grew from the royal seeds. The royal couple smiled at her explanation. They chose her as their heir over children who had grown bountiful, beautiful, and elaborate floral displays. There was, of course, a great uproar when the royal couple announced their choice. It was outrageous enough that the king and queen wanted a child who was capable of gardening rather than leading or governing. But why would the royal couple choose the very worst gardener in the kingdom? The one who could grow nothing at all from the royal seeds. The king and queen explained their plan. This wasn't a test of gardening, they explained. It was a test of character. All of the seeds in the royal basket were boiled before they were given to the children. None of them were capable of growing flowers. Clearly, only one small girl had the courage to play by the rules, to tell the truth, and keep bringing people together and learning. Despite her frustration, she's shown you what she's made of, and why she's worthy of being your next queen. How often, too often, we fall by the wayside. We fall by the side, deviating from the rules, deviating from the instructions, and falling, falling from our chosen path. How often do we fall off being the true loyal royal? How often do we forget that we are a real royal, that we're given a task to stick to, like the king and queen gave to this small girl? She stuck to her task. Can we stick to our task? Can we be a true royal, loyal royal? Can we be a true part of the real royal family? Can we make sure to dress the right way and to act the right way, to behave the right way, to uplift the world in the right way? It is up to us to be the kingship, to be the kingdom, to be the royalty, to be the nobility in our own lives. Jerome Klein points out on H.com a story. One definition of courage is Omate's lave, which translates literally as strength of heart. Omate's lave starts with individual conviction that there is a better way, but it doesn't stop there. With Omate's lave, you play to win by bringing others with you and encouraging them to take their game to a higher level. You draw others in rather than pushing them out of the way. You earn a mandate to experiment and take initiative rather than sneaking around and being deceptive. If the seeds you are given don't take root and sprout, you'll face a moment of truth. The choice is yours. One choice, of course, is to make do with a barren garden and excuse your lack of productivity by saying, I just followed orders. In the previous story, you can become indignant at the king and the queen by suspecting they're setting you up to fail. If you choose the path of courage, you also have a choice. You can choose chutzpah, like the prospective heirs that the king and queen rejected, or... You can choose all made slave by earning a mandate to take initiative and become a thought leader for the rest of your organization and bring others with you. 
Growing flowers wasn't the quality that the king and queen sought. After all, courage, the all-maids lave variety of courage, that is what they were looking for. In the end, it wasn't the child who grew the most bountiful bed of flowers, but the child who de demonstrated candor, purpose, will, rigor, and risk. Aish also points out that the Dubner Magad offered the following parable. A king owned a magnificent diamond which accidentally sustained a deep scratch. The royal diamond cutter said no amount of polishing would remove the flaw entirely. But one expert volunteered, I can rectify the flaw in a manner that will render the diamond more valuable than before. The king told him to go ahead and with great skill he engraved rose petals on the diamond. You see, it is better than it was before. I told you I can make it better than before. The deep scratch served as the stem of the flower. Similarly, said the Dubner Magad, a person can transform negative traits into virtues. With creativity, you can use your mistakes and faults in a way that will gain you more than you would have otherwise. Hashem, of course, is the king. He gives us life and makes us into royals. He chooses us to be his spiritual heirs, to bring life to this world. And we are the biological heirs as well to fix and help the world. Hashem gives us seeds. He gives us ideas. He gives us capabilities. He gives us talents. What are we going to do with them? He gives us fertilizer and life for ourselves and everything around us with the breath of the Torah. How will we use it to plant those seeds? He gives us a life to live royally with finding proper clothing, using proper speech, engaging in proper actions, doing mitzvahs and a lot of chesed. We must stand up and be loyal to Hashem, the one only true good royal, Hashem himself, Lahavil, every single day. Take your seeds of your life that you were given by Hashem and plant them in the right way. Take the dirt off of your own diamonds and create them or shine them anew in your own life. You know that we talk about different points of the year where it's a new time, it's a new year. In Nisan, back in Nisan, it was a new time for kings in Rosh Hashanah. Of course, it's a new year for us. And then there's the Tu B'Shvat, the year for the trees. Each aspect of the year, we have a time to start anew. We can always start a new beginning at any time. You think about the Pasuk in Shemos and Perak Yud Tet. Pasuk Vav, Ve'atem Tiyuli Mamlechas Kohanim V'gai Kadosh. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God asks us to be that kingly nation, the priestly nation, the holy nation, by following in his Torah, receiving the Torah in order to make clear, the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar points out, one who wears the Kesar Torah, the crown of Torah, also has attained the stature of the other two crowns, priesthood and royalty. That's what it talks about in Mishle, that wisdom, Torah, is more precious than rubies. The crown of Torah includes other crowns because the crown of Torah is the best crown to have. We are meant to be a royal nation, every single one of us, loyal to the mission of the Torah and loyal to the one true royal, that of Hashem. The Gemara points out in Baba Metziah in 113b, Amr Abayah, Rabbi Shimon ben Gomir, Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi Shishmal, Rabbi Kiva, Kulhu Sfirullahu, Kol Yisrael b'neim alachem Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel attains this reasoning as well as other sages. There is nothing that is unfit for a person, Abayah said, in the name of other people, who said that all of Israel are the children of kings. In other words, a Jew is never deemed unfit to use a certain item, even if it's a luxury item, because they are all 
wearing the finest garments because they are all the kingship. They are all the, the royalty in this world. Kali Yisrael, B'nai Malachim Him, Shabbos points out as well, all the Jewish people are princes. It's permitted for them to be able to take care of themselves on Shabbos because we are royalty. We should dress in the finest clothing on Shabbos, nice fitted suits. The first time I bought myself a suit with my wife's uh, actual approval, saying which one she liked, we went together to a suit store. Last year, I was wearing suits that were too big or ones that were too you know, stretched out or too flimsy. A lot of times I, I got the wrong size clothing, swimming in XL when really it should have been large, and, and the suits that were totally off off sizes. So I went, got a four, wonderful four for whatever deal from a wonderful clo- a suit store, and voila, found a suit that actually fits nicely, actually feels good to wear, and actually feels much more royal. Because you could wear a suit, but it could be the wrong kind of suit. You could wear a tie, it could be totally cockeyed and totally hackneyed. We need to dress the finest, properly fitting clothing on Shabbos. Nice, well-kept, modest clothing during the week as well. Take care to make our appearance kempt with cleanliness and hygiene as it relates to our royal status. We should upkeep our houses, our cars, our items that help keep our royal status and have proper self-esteem to realize how important each one of us are in the house of Hashem. What can we do to be royals in our own kingdom? It really brings to mind the idea of a famous book, Lahavdil, 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 of the Phantom Tobuth, which I read as a kid and whose author passed away in the past couple of years. Dr. Yvette Miller explains about the book on H.com. There was once a boy named Milo who didn't know what to do with himself, not just sometimes, but always. The Phantom Tobuth begins. Nothing seems important to Milo and nothing interests him. In words that many of us will probably recognize from moments of frustration and hopelessness in our own lives, Milo notes, it seemed a great wonder that the world, which was so large, could sometimes feel so small and empty. Milo comes home one day to find that a mysterious stranger has left him a magical toy, a phantom tobu that transports him to a wondrous world that is in desperate need of saving. Milo goes on thrilling adventures which often involve clever wordplay and puns, picks up two helpers, eventually restores two wise princesses named Rhyme and Reason to their positions mediating disputes. Of course, if you think about it, it's very interesting, intelligent how they go about this book, banishing ignorance and once more bringing peace and happiness to the realm. A lesson to learn. From Norton Justers, the Phantom Tobuth, is that as expressed in the book, when they began to count all the time that was available, what with 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, and 365 days in a year, at least a solar year, of course, it's less in a lunar year, it seemed as if there was much more than could ever be used. If there's so much of it, it couldn't be very valuable, was the general opinion, and it soon fell into disrepute. People wasted it and even gave it away. Too often, life can seem to be a series of days to get through. A whole world of entertainment exists to help us pass the time. How sad. Yet we each have a unique mission in life that we are charged with accomplishing. In the Phantom Tobe with Lahabdil, Milo has to save the kingdom. In real life, we each have to find our own purpose and missions to accomplish. Time isn't something to take for granted. It's a finite resource that we dare not waste. So many people after the end of their life say, I wish I had more time. I wish I did X, Y, or Z with my time. They never say, I wish I had more money. They never say, I wish I had another house, another car. I made more money. Money is not something to hoard. 
money is verklempt. It comes and it goes. That's why it's called zuz, because it moves from place to place. The Gemara talks about it. It's in your hand today. It's gone tomorrow. That's why there are many places I could work and make a ton, ton, ton more, but I purposefully, specifically do not, because I want to be home at 4 o'clock. I do not want to be home at 8, 9, 10 o'clock like my friends who are in different professions. You know which professions you are. I'm not going to knock them down. I'm just going to say it's not for me. Time isn't something to take for granted. I use that time to get a lot done. Just the other day, I come home at 4 o'clock. We set up dinner. I took one kid to one well visit. Then we, then we finished dinner. Then we changed for bed. We did some silly games of bed. I took a second kid to a, another appointment. I also cleaned the dishes, cleaned the sink. All in the time before even some of my co-workers, co-friends come home, even for the first minute. All those things done from the hours of 4 to 7, even before my friend who's in a different job even thinks about getting on a train an hour after that. For what? For more money? Is it worth it? Time isn't something to take for granted. I feel blessed that my job is 8 to 3. I work for the city. We are done by 3, and I try to always get home by 4. This way, I have it set to a science. 4 to 5 is dinner prep time on a usual day. 5 to 6 is dinner eating time on a usual day. Here in 2023, my kids are little. 6 to 7 is when we have wind-down time and the kids are sleeping. And then 7 and beyond is our time. My wife and I hang out. We watch a cooking show. I do laundry. I do whatever. That is how I break down my day. I do have a second job because finances and expenses are very expensive here in New York and Long Island. So I have a time, a not time-bound job. It's fascinating. This job is not time-dependent. It's not like I have to go after hours to a house or an office. It's very cool side things that I try to do. My five-old project is not time-bound dependent. The book and the weekly. It's not something that's set in the time hours. In my podcast, I could record them at any time. It's not time-bound specific. Time is our own, and we need to make it our own. Unfortunately, people take it for granted. It's not so important. All right, I'll work till 8, 9, 10. Wouldn't the wife rather the extra grand that I make? I don't think so. Ask her point blank. Ask him point blank, depending on who's working where. Would you rather them home or would you rather them make a little more money? There are some people who are very superficial, very materialistic. Maybe they'd rather make more money. That is not my viewpoint. That is not my wife's viewpoint, Baruch Hashem. After 120 years, we're never going to say, I wish he worked till 8 instead, so we had an extra couple of dollars. No. The time, the experiences, you will never get that back. My daughter right now, in 2023, is 4. She's never going to be 4 again. She's never going to be 4 again. My son is 8, and the other son is 6, and the baby is, you know, 60 months. They should all be Zohar to live. I may have Happy, healthy, beautiful lives, finding their spouse, building a bystander, and having children. Wonderful things for all of us. They're never going to be these ages again. How could we take the time away? Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to earn a parnasa. But who's to say it can't be on our hours? Who can't say it can't be on our time figuring it out? Baruch Hashem, it's good hours, it's good benefits. It's not nearly as much as my cohorts make in my profession, granted. It's not nearly as much as my friends make in other professions, granted. And I'm not going to have a mansion. I have a cozy house, but it's not a mansion. But that's the choices we make. That's what we could do with our time. Would you rather lose the time or use the time? I would never want to work an extra few hours in a cubicle just for the money. I would be miserable. It wouldn't be a functional life for me or my family. It would be such a waste, such a loss. It's such a privilege, such a zechus to be home at a normal, reasonable hour. I've never heard 
of a job where they're able to be home even before the regular hours. Most jobs are 8 to 5, and then they get home at 6, and they have to leave at 7. That is craziness. Baruch Hashem, I leave most days nowadays, 7.15, 7.20, 7.10, and most days I try to be home by 3.30, 3.45, and we're in the door 4, 4.15, which is beautiful. As a chus, halavai, I find a school even earlier, and I get home at 3.30, that's a dream. But the time is what is taken for granted. It's a finite resource that we dare not waste. In a sense, we're all like Milo, trapped in a cycle of mindless, unimportant jobs. You should be zochah to do what you love and love what you do, and it's an important job helping people. But unfortunately, a lot of times we're just in mindless things, neglecting the much more important purposes and tasks that we really have to do. We're neglecting the people we really need to care for and nourish and love, our spouses and our children. They're like Plants, lahavda, lahavda, that need nourishing, they need nurturing, they need your time more than your money. They need your presence more than your present that you give them with money that you buy for them. A present of a Lego will never make up for the silly game you could have played for them for one-fiftieth of the price. Yet like Milo, we each have a tool to help us. Milo has a magic staff to aid, and we have the timeless Jewish wisdom. When Jewish leaders faced long work days. They nevertheless made time to focus on learning Torah, remembering what is important in life, even when it was difficult to carve out the time. Nowadays, there are many options, and there are even remote options, by the way, which are fantastic, where you could literally be home, which is fantastic. I cannot tell you what as a chas it was being home all those years working remotely. I got to drop off my kids and pick up my kids. How cool is that? And to be home with my own baby, which is really nice. We have to figure out a way to carve out things in our life. Rashi, one of the greatest Jewish sages, somehow made time out of time that he didn't have. He was a busy winemaker who had kids and whose days were consumed with business, yet he still found the time to write reams of inspired works on the Torah, on the Talmud, on countless other things. Rambam, another major Jewish thinker, was a busy physician, but he employed he was employed by a royal court, but his letters describe how exhausted he was, how he hardly ever had a moment to himself, yet he used those precious minutes to study and to write some of the most important Jewish books in history. We are all here to help the kingdom of Hashem. We all have to use our friends' rhyme and reason to make a difference in a sensical and a practical way, using our talents, our abilities, and our capabilities without forgetting or losing sight that we are of royalty. We must be loyal to our true royal roots, enhancing the kingdom of Hashem on this earth every chance we get. Don't waste the time here. Don't forget the purpose here. Behave like a true, loyal royal. How we go about our days, how we dress, how we behave, how we go about in life. Remember why we were freed from Egypt. And remember what we came to the Torah mountain, to the Har Sinai, what we are doing in accepting the Torah, being a real royal. There are many, many sources that point out to us the idea that we're supposed to be involved in Torah. We talk about in Pirkei Avos that you're occupied in Torah for its own sake. It gives you royalty. We talk about how there are crowns in Pirkei Avos, the crown of Torah, the crown of priests, and the crown of royalty. We talk about when we're among the nations, there is no royalty like Hashem from Yirmiyahu. We think about how it says in Pirkei Avos and Perig Vav, which we just talked about a couple of Mishnahs ago on the TTPA, and Tani talks Pirkei Avos down in our last couple of weeks here, where we finish up before the summer hiatus. It talks about how the, the Luchos were of the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Harut, 
read on the tablets, but don't really read it as harus, the Mishnah teaches us, but chayrut, freedom, because there is no free man, but one that occupies himself with the study of the Torah. Whoever regularly occupies himself with the study of Torah, he is surely exalted. He is surely exalted. Greater is learning Torah than priesthood and royalty, because royalty has 30 stages, priesthood is 24, but the Torah has 48 things, because studying the Torah gives us true royalty, and we are really free when doing Hashem's work. The Pesach Haggadah points out to us, talking about royalty and the name, Gemara Brachos points out to us that we, we bless Hashem, who grants us kingdom on earth, it's a microcosm of the kingdom in heaven, and granting, us domin- and granting Him dominion and love of justice. The, to- the Gemara in Shabbos talks about how the Gentile, there was a Gentile stu- passing the study hall, they were studying Torah, they're talking about the garments that they make, the ephod and the choshen and the, the robe and different things. And the Gentile's like, what are these, these garments designated for? And they talk about how it's for the Kohen Gadol. And he says to himself, I'm going to carve them and they'll stole me as high priest. He came before Shammai and he says, convert me on condition, they'll stole me as the Kohen Gadol. Shammai pushes him away with the ruler. He comes before Hillel. Hillel converts him. Hillel says to him, it is, is it not the way of the world that only one who knows the protocols of royalty is appointed king? Go and learn the royal protocols by engaging in Torah study. He goes and he reads the Torah. When he reaches the verse, the Pasuk that says, The common man that draws near shall be put to death. The Hazar, Asher Yikrav, Lamut, you know, he'll be put to death. He says to Hillel, with regards to whom is the verse speaking? Hillel says to him, even with regard to David, king of Israel, the covered reason, the Kavachomer, if the Jewish people are called God's children, and due to the love that God loved them, he called them, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Nevertheless, it is written about them, the common man that comes will be put to death. A mere comrade who came without merit, with nothing with his staff? All the more so it applies as well. As we are Hashem's children, and he is the king. We are princes and princesses. We make sure, we need to make sure to follow the Torah, to act in a true, loyal, and royal fashion. We know about in Shemos, it talks about Vayaslan Batim, because Shifra and Pua did good with the babies, and, and they poo-pooed to them, and they made them shiny and beautiful. They took care of them. They were given houses. Rashi points out, what does it mean, Vayaslan Batim? Houses of the priesthood and the Levites of the royalty, which are all termed Batim. From Yochaved, from Shifra, the house of the king, and the royal dynasty from, from the Levites from Yochaved, and the royal dynasty from Miriam. Because that's what real royalty is. Not just payment. He could have, you know, Hashem could have given them payment. He could have paid them off in whatever way he wanted. He could have done whatever he wanted in those kind of ways, but that's not what he did. He made sure to give them the real, tri- the real types of houses that were necessary. The real types of wonderful royalty that were necessary. That were the royalty of the the kingship and the royalty of the Levites, of the priesthood. That's how they had, that's what came from them. And way down the line was David, of course. And way down the line, there were great things from, from those families. The truly important houses came from those who sacrificed for Torah. They're, these are the enduring ones. And the prerequisite through the lens of the Torah that lead it to a real loyal royal. The Gemara points out that a Torah scholar from Horaius precedes the king of Israel because in the case of a sage who dies, we have no one like him. But in the case of a king who dies, all of Israel are fit for royalty. So we have to honor the king, but even more than that, we have to honor the Torah scholar because that's the real royal. The real royal family is involving in the Torah. 
involving the learning of the Torah. We'll learn about the idea from Vayechi Mai Bar Mitzvah Parsha, my favorite Parsha. Yehuda, Yehuda, your brothers will agree to your becoming king. The numerical value, the Dasa points out, of the letters in the word Yehuda equals 30, corresponding to the 30 qualities required of a person who is fit to come to become royalty. These are enumerated in Sanhedrin, and it is interesting that Yehuda is what we're named for also. The numerical value of the first letters in the three words Gur are Yehuda is the same as the three letters as Miterafini Elisa. You removed yourself from the kill, my son, talking about the idea of David eventually becoming the king of Israel and he overcoming attacks upon him by a bear, having prevailed in those encounters. But the interesting thing about Yehuda, we're called after Yehuda because the trait of Yehuda was Hoda'a. Thanks. Leah thanks Hashem after having her fill. She thought she would have three kids out of 12, each wife getting three kids, three, six, nine, twelve. She got four. She already had more than her share, thanking Hashem for more than what she thought she was allowed to have. That's the trait of a hallmark of a Jew. A royal person always thanks, always says, Derech Eretz, always says, please and thank you. Hi, how are you today? Thank you for helping me. Thanks for taking care of me. Even the other day at the pediatrician, I say to the doctor, thanks for your help. What do you mean? I'm here anyway. This is what I'm supposed to do, but thank you anyway. You could have said, wait a few more minutes or whatever. Always thanking people, having Hoda is a true royal trait to have as well. Wearing garments, Tor Aruch points out, Lechavodul Sepharis, for glory and splendor. This is what gives us royalty as well. Wearing these beautiful talisim that we wear on Shabbos and Yom Tov and during the week. Wearing talaskatans, the tzitzes, are also beautiful. Wearing the kippah and the techel and the shetel for the woman. Wearing these beautiful Jewish garments that separates us and our clothing and our manner of dress as well and our manner of speech. These are an action Behavior. These are all things that clothe us in a beautiful royal fashion. It behooves us to do so as well. We need to make sure to be involved in royalty. Any one of us can feel majestic and royal by following the Torah ways with utilizing the royal garments, including the talus, including the tefillah and the kibah, the shaitan, the techah, with dressing and acting in proper and modest ways. Being involved in a royal is not hard. You just have to figure out how to attach yourself to the royalty, how to attach yourself to being a real royal person, meaning wearing the crown and fighting your evil inclination yourself and changing it and following it to the good side. Obviously, there's good days and bad days, but hopefully you have more good days than bad days. Do what you can to be a free person, a royal person, a wealthy person. When you're happy with what you have, you're happy with your surroundings, with your choice, of where to live in your house and your car and of course your spouse and your children, that becomes a really royal person, a happy person, a joyous person. A really wealthy person is someone who really steps back and says, I have a beautiful life, a rich life, a full life. Not the one that says, I wish I had a bigger house, a bigger car, a better job, more money. That stuff comes and goes, man. That stuff is not what really makes it or break it in life. The real royalty is coming from what you really appreciate what you really understand, what you really see in life, and what you understand in life is the fact that we have it in our life, how we act, how we treat others, how we treat even the items and things in our lives, understanding to channel our culture, our religion, and all aspects of Torah into a Torah life, being proud to be a Jew, being proud to be a royal Jew, royal in front of all people. Understand that we left Egypt and we became the royal nation. Understanding your house can be a mini palace, a mini 
Makam Kodesh, especially if you say different Torah at the table, you raise your table to be like a Mizbeach, doing what you can to make your surroundings in a Torah way. Thinking of others, taking care of others, taking care of the less fortunate, having that social justice, even taking care of not Jewish people, taking care of the poor, the needy around the world, and people within your organization, doing what you can to be the royal person in life. Remember where it comes from. Be true, loyal to the one who is the true king, that of Hashem. You don't have to read the Phantom Tobit to understand that we have real royalty in life. You don't have to read a book about rhyme and reason to realize that so often it's missing in life. Understanding that we should ban ignorance, understanding that we shouldn't waste time or waste our abilities. If you could find a job that has wonderful passion, you could love what you do and do what you love, you don't really need to make $1,600 every five seconds. Halavai, we even make that every couple of hours, every couple of days for many different people and many different jobs. You should do what you can to make the world a better place to help people to do good. If there's a way to figure things out and you could come home and spend more time with your spouses, more time with your kids, you never lose by spending more time with your spouses and your kids. You never lose by doing more for the world, for doing more mitzvahs, more Torah, more chesed. You never lose by being more of a royal, being more of a loyal person to the Torah, to mitzvahs, to chesed. You never lose by occupying yourself with a more princely nature, a more princely attitude, understanding your role in this world. We have to understand to grab the courage, to grab the ability to say, no, I've had enough. I don't want to work in this dead-end job, nine to nine. I don't want to lose out on my family life. My family comes first. Sometimes people look in their workers and say, you're married to your family. You're not married to your job. I don't appreciate how you're not putting enough effort. You know, you know, uh, she puts her job first, her family second. She's a worthy asset to the company. That is not how we're supposed to do. That's not how we're supposed to work for anyone who says that should not really deserve your talents, your time, or your capabilities. When you put your family first, you never lose in life, in real life, not in the job, which is probably not even the right job to be at anyway. You're a good worker, but that person is a great worker. You're an okay worker, but that person's great. They put the job first. How awesome is that? No, that is warped. That is skewed. That is backwards. A truly royal person understands the majesty of their family, understands the majesty of Hashem and the Jewish people. The wife first, the children next, and then the job third. Of course, Torah and Mitzvot and Chesed up there with those top responsibilities to wife and family as well, and then the job later. You know, I used to not be a fan of taking off days, you know, using days for this or that, for appointments or whatnot. It used to bother me a lot. And then I realized that's a warped priority. If you're not going to allow me to take the day and you're going to dock me, then so be it. If I want to be at my kid's sitter play, I want to be at my kid's chumash play, I want to be at my kid's shore shinbi, I want to be at my kid's graduation, I don't care if you're going to dock me, so dock it. What's it going to be after 120 years? What are those couple of hundred bucks anyway? It's more important to be there for your kids, to be there for your family, to be there for Hashem, for Torah, Mitzvah, and Chesed, to be there to show up. That's what's more important. That's really royal. That's really majestic. That's really... Fantastic. You're not going to lose out. I believe. You don't lose out by doing missiles, by doing chesed, by being a good family person, a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good mother. You don't lose out by doing for your family. How epic, how much worth it is to see that child smile, to see their eyes, to see their eyes sparkle when daddy shows up. But daddy's always at work. How is he here? It's okay, buddy. This was more important than work. This 
was more important than my job. This was more important than a couple of extra bucks I could have made, which is going to be gone tomorrow anyway, when the heating bill comes anyway, when the water bill comes anyway. What is real royalty? Really sticking to what's important in life, sticking to Torah, sticking to mitzvah, sticking to ches. What is really majestic in life? Putting the family first, putting the rhyme and reason into life. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What is the purpose of doing it? You really want to be a good provider for your kids, then show up for them. Be there for them. Interact with them. So often, sometimes, we just send them off to bed. We don't even go up with them. It's not easy. Bedtime is difficult, I will tell you, but I try to sit with each kid a lot of time in their own beds, and a lot of times we'll do silly games. I made up a cow game the other week. Tell me, what cow did you see? My cow was blue and white. Blue and white? Ha <laughs> ha! My cow looked like Peppa Pig. Ha <laughs> ha! You know, you could do anything to make kids laugh. There's so much an easy audience, especially when they're little. It doesn't even take any brain power to make them laugh. You could just say things in a weird way, in a silly way, like an Uncle Fish. You could say things like, Bella! You could act and talk in any way. But it becomes so majestic, so royal when you can interact with your family, when you can have time for them. If you're always on the phone, if you're always texting, if you're always calling, you're always on the computer, what example does that show to the kids? What priority does it show to the kids? How does it show that you interact? You show that there's always time for mommy and Abba. You show there's always time for the kids, and I'm always able to help you, and I'm always trying to do what I can. I try to make it to pick up, to kid pick up, even if I can't do kid drop-off, although, thank God, throughout the year, there are times that I can. If you show what you can to show up, show what you can to be that royal person. As we come to Shavuos, we accept the yoke of the Torah, and a yoke in a good way. We see how the Torah is greater than kingship. It's greater than priesthood. It's greater than all jobs in the world. Living a Torah life where you're a good dad, you're a good mom, you're a good husband, you're a good wife, where you show up first and foremost for your spouses and then your kids and then everything else. That is the proper way to go about things. As we come to the Torah, we come to accepting the Torah, where we became this royalty nation. It behooves us to act like nobility. It behooves us to dress like nobility, to talk like nobility, to behave like nobility, to do what we can to make Hashem into the true royal. We are royalty. We, we should remind ourselves day in and day out that we are royal. It is more majestic. To show up for your kids, to show up for your wife's first and foremost, and your spouse's, your husband's first and foremost, than anything else. Set time every day to spend time with one another, whether you're watching a cooking show or reading a book next to each other. But spend time. Don't lead parallel lives. Don't lead separate lives. Every day, do something and always spend time with your kids. Even if it's a few minutes, I read a beautiful article once where a dad gave each one of his six kids just 10 minutes on Shabbos. And it literally changed their life forever. Do what we can to give to the kids. Set time for your Wives for your husbands every single day that would really solve so many problems. A good life, a wonderful life, a connected life is where you spend time and you nourish the relationship in beautiful ways. Where you act in the right way, you behave in the right way, you dress in the right way, finding the right things in all aspects. As we come and we accept the Torah, hopefully we become true royals, we become true loyal royals and we change the world for the better every single day. We should be zilcha, that our royalty should be bracked back in the kingship, back in our temple, back in our base Amigdash, speedily in our days, and may that, in fact, be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio, where we talk about a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. God willing, join us next time on Tani Talks Radio, and I'm your host, Tani. Chag kosher v'sameach.